Obviously with a subscription product, we do get unsubscribes. So for a while, I was doing it in a very unscalable way where when someone unsubscribed, I personally reached out and actually sent them a personalized video being like, hey, it's Monica, like, so sorry this didn't work out for you. I'd love to hear kind of your feedback in order for us to improve our product. And people responded to it. A lot of times people would be like, oh, I'm just trying to get pregnant, so I'm going on a prenatal. And I'd be like, oh my God, congrats. And then ship them my favorite nutrition for pregnancy book. This podcast is sponsored by Klaviyo, the email and text marketing platform that puts D2C brands in control. If you're the leader of a D2C brand, you need a platform that hustles as hard as you do. Klaviyo unlocks the power of your e-commerce data so you can personalize and automate messages that keep customers coming back. D2C brands communicate with Klaviyo. Start for free at klaviyo.com slash DTC. That's K-L-A-V-I-Y-O dot com slash DTC. Hello and welcome to the D2C podcast. I'm Eric Dick, and today I'm extremely lucky to be talking to Monica Groni, the founder and CEO at Morea, a company empowering women to take control of their menstrual health. The brand has created a drinkable supplement with 15 key vitamins and minerals needed by menstruating women to help reduce the onset and severity of the mental and physical PMS-related symptoms. Welcome to the show, Monica. I just wanted to start a little bit by talking about your brand's genesis, specifically with your focus on growth through organic means. Yeah. Well, thanks so much for having me, Eric. In terms of you know, where we started and why we're growing from this very organic place is that this is really a problem that I was facing. And what was missing for me was the community and the place to have the conversation, where to go to ask the questions, where to go to feel like you didn't know what was going on in your body. Um, And so I really wanted to build that community and a safe place for women. And that honestly started with being able to have really close Uh, relationships and conversations with our customers. And if you're acquiring customers really quickly through paid channels, that in the early days isn't always a possibility. And so we wanted to kind of build those 100 true fans to start, grow that to the 1,000 true fans, and really make sure that we are guided first and foremost by that community. So what were your first moves upon having the product or did the product develop iteratively with small of those, you know, num- you know, some of those hundred people early on or talk about those first hundred true fans and, and what were the critical aspects in getting those? Yeah. So, I mean, first customer was myself and the product really came to be from a conversation that I had in my doctor's office when I was looking for a solution for me. I got suggested new- these nutrients. Um, I realized that they worked really, really well, better than any solution I'd ever been provided before, but they were all in pill form and I was buying them all separately. It was kind of a pain in the butt. And so I was like, there has to be a better way, has to be able to be made cheaper. I don't need to be spending $250 a month on my supplements. Um, So I started to talk to dietitians and nutritionists and, and see if this was something that was viable to a larger group of people and not just myself. Uh, So in that process, I started to go into Facebook groups and talk to other women who are experiencing these things. There are Facebook groups around PMS and around menstrual health. So I'd get in there and actually talk to people and I'm like, hey, can I buy you supplements for three months if you give me feedback on them? 
And people were willing to do that. And so that was my initial beta test. And that group grew out to be like 50 people and they were just providing feedback. And I was literally like mailing them bottles of supplements. And I was like, okay, take one of this every day and one of that every day. And we, we noticed through that, that like 80% of the people taking these nutrients were seeing a benefit. And so we were like, okay, like check done. I think this can scale. <laughs> yeah. Very interesting. I'm just, I'm, I'm kind of learning more about the product. It's, you don't talk about what those do you, or do you talk, do you have education about what the specific ingredients of the product are, or do you mainly focus on it as the brand that is the cure-all or the thing that helps? Yeah. Um, we're really transparent about our nutrients. So we have a page on our website that shows all of the different research that's been done against each nutrient, um, because there is, research that's been done. And so people can go in and see like, Hey, this, um, magnesium is helping me with these symptoms and vitamin D is helping me with this. And the vitamin D meets the calcium and the blah, 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 like how everything interacts together. So So we do want to want to be really transparent about that. But I think like where our value add comes in is definitely one, like we're a drinkable product. So it's much more bioavailable and absorbable. And two, cheaper because you're not going out and buying all these things separately at this kind of volume or quantity that you might need for these symptoms. Um, and then also obviously just what we can provide in terms of education and community and support. And it's also, I imagine a more, as someone who doesn't love taking pills, it's also a more pleasurable way. And and, and it's like whatever way is going to get you to do it more often. So if you can build a ritual around creating this, you know, pleasurable drink, you're going to enjoy it maybe more than taking a bunch of horse pills. Definitely. Yeah. And you know, some people prefer the pills. Like some people are like, I don't want to add another flavored thing into my life. And like, cool. That's great too. Um, We're not going to, we're not going to hit everyone, but definitely I think for me, I wanted something that was drinkable. Okay. So you've proven out the product through your tests that you ran. Uh, Then when it came to like, okay, we have a product let's hit the gas. My instinct as someone who works at an agency is, you know, we're going to put that money into ads. We're going to AB test. We're going to figure out the best headline and do all these things. What, what was your move sort of contrary to that? You know, so we're bootstrapped and when you're bootstrapped, you have to be really, really freaking scrappy. Um, so it was hanging out in those Facebook groups, hanging out on Reddit, which we still do literally daily, um, starting to build up our audience, on organic social channels. And these days, honestly, TikTok. (laughs) Love it. I just started doing podcasts with the Pilot House team on TikTok. And we really focus on ads on TikTok. So, you know, creating the things that are working on Facebook and YouTube and doing some, you know, doing a little memeing here and there. But the ads that I see that are the best and the ones that, you know, that have that opportunity to go viral are just those real organic integrations. So I'm really interested to hear about your, your approach on TikTok. I really dove into it like at first last summer, I'd say that I feel like was when TikTok was starting to really be like, oh my God, this is a thing. And initially it was product seeding and we were seeking out people who were talking about their period on TikTok because there is a hashtag period TikTok or TikTok, like there's a whole community there in itself. Um, So we were seeking out those people and looking specifically for partners who had who were consistently getting about 10,000 views on their videos. But if you went through to their Instagram, they didn't really have a big following there because 
they were new influencers, right? Like they became influencers because of TikTok. Yeah, like new money, and, new money millionaires. On, on yeah, social media. And, yeah, and we knew by working with those people, one, that they were like very authentic TikTok users and that they could create the best TikTok content. But also that when we went to them and asked for like content trade or product trade, that they wouldn't be like, yep, like $5,000 a post. And again, as a bootstrap company, like we have to do what we can. And instead of offering a cash exchange, we do like affiliate programs with these people where like use this code, we'll give you a huge percentage of every sale. You know, we do upwards of like 30% per sale for these people. Mm-hmm. And so incentivizing them in those ways, and that worked really well. We had a handful of posts on other influencer TikTok accounts go viral that started to drive some traffic over to our account. Um, Simultaneously, we were building out an organic strategy of being really consistent on that channel and starting to test things and messaging and see what worked well for us. And over time, you know, we started to have these things go viral, get like 50,000 views, 10,000 views, 100,000 views. And we still don't have that many followers there. But every time a post goes, we see a direct bump in traffic, a direct bump in conversions. Like it's better than paid advertising. (laughs) That's so interesting. And it's like, it's a real evolution of the, of social media in general. I was just listening to a TikToker talk about it yesterday. And they were talking about how you go on an Instagram feed and you see everyone's shiny, happy lives kind of thing. And you go on TikTok and you realize that everyone's in the same boat you are underneath in a way, right? And that's really what comes out and that's really what tends to to do well. And I also love that you referenced um, Reddit as a way of generating organic traffic by being constantly in conversations on those channels because TikTok to me is, is a lot more like Reddit than it is like Instagram where you're getting these really deep, interesting insights in all these different aspects of things that you might be interested in. Um, and I can see a really good correlation there between your content on Reddit and and here. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think you nailed it by saying that people are being more real on TikTok. And I think that plays well to our brand and our product because it is like a taboo topic. And for us to talk about it, it's a little bit vulnerable and it makes people a little uncomfortable, but that's kind of what makes TikTok TikTok. And same thing on Reddit, people are already having these conversations there. So if we can go in and inject some of our like knowledge, and again, like when I spend time on Reddit, I'm just being a human. I'm not trying to market. I'm just trying to share my experience. Yeah. And that's from on Reddit. It's from your personal account, not a company account. It is. Yeah. On TikTok, it's the company account though, or is it a personal account? No, it's, it's a company account. Do you, do you try to jump on sounds and jump on memes and things like that? Or do you just mainly produce original content? Um, we do jump on trends. Honestly, all of our content that's gone viral though, it doesn't have a trending sound. It's usually just me telling my story and my voice or, um, you know, me like having little things pop up that say my story. And so we've realized that it's really just that super authentic, vulnerable content that actually works. (laughs) Very interesting. Now as a marketer, I just think now you just got to put some budget behind those posts (laughs) and then you'll really reap the whirlwind. Yeah. Unfortunately we tried to do some advertising on TikTok. They are not allowing supplements to advertise, Mm, which is a bummer. I think it'll probably change, but we can't quite get in with the advertising there yet. And 
We just haven't seen it work on Facebook. Like in terms of prospecting, we haven't been able to get to a place where we feel comfortable continuing to spend. Mm. Once we've had some of these viral traffic drivers, we do run like a small budget on retargeting, which is great. But in terms of prospecting, it just hasn't really worked out for us yet on Facebook. I will say though that like Google search works pretty well for us and we do Definitely do Google search because we went really, really heavy on content and SEO research early on. Can you describe that process a little bit? Like, did you retrofit existing content to be more SEO friendly or did, did you create the content from the beginning in a, in a SEO plan? Yeah. So did a ton of SEO research on our competitors and just the space in general. What are people searching and like where are competitors showing up in those search results and kind of what holes can we fit in that still work with what our product does? Um, and so I use the tool Ubersuggest, like Neil Patel's tool to do that research on competitors. And from there, hired out content creation. We wanted to be an education and we are an education first brand. And so the content's really important to us regardless, but we knew we could answer those questions and show up in those areas where our competitors weren't, win those areas first, and then start to move into the the others and try to win those as well. But that also was really telling for us when setting up like search advertising of, okay, you know, we might not be able to win these words right now, but let's focus on these and see if we can get in there. And then the ad aspect of it gives you that feedback where you can really see where you're winning in a shorter time frame usually, because you're forcing the issue. Yeah. We've been really lucky. I think with organic search too, like um, Google search console, you know, we're ranking super well. We have I think it was like, I just looked at this this week, like 30% of our traffic is just from organic search. And it's literally driving to these blog pages that we have. Um, And we've been, you know, we always test like different inserts that'll drive to the product and like how we can get them from that page to the product, Um, different pop-ups. And we actually get a lot of email subscribes off of our blog pages. I'm just checking out your Twitter profile and I love that I see D 2 C marketing obsessed. I'm like, Oh, great. And then not the dollar sign kind, not the money bag kind. And it is, it's, you know, one of my, uh, one of my friends is named Molly Borman who has a business. Uh, she wrote a book called the Instagram iceberg about how, what, if you're talking about spending money on Instagram and Facebook and all these platforms, it's just really the tip of the iceberg. It, it, and there's so much that's done on that organic side of the business. And I find it, I find it very, you know, a really cool kind of kind of growth hacking. Have you, are there anything else that you've sort of, uh, focused on in, in this world. What about PR? Has PR been, been in your plans much? Yeah, early on, we did quite a bit of PR. You know, I think especially launching, you want to kind of get that initial one, like traffic to your site, but also just that validation from PR. And I have done all the PR pitching myself and have had really good luck. We, we've been in Forbes, we've been in Shape. We had a give back initiative in Global Citizen, Beauty Independent, which is obviously like a great industry pub. Um, So I've definitely had a lot of opportunities there. And it's just come from me personally reaching out to writers who are already writing on these topics, um, being really genuine and or like, honestly, our Forbes article came from me becoming friends with one of the Forbes writers on Instagram. I was like, obviously seeking her out because she was a Forbes writer, but I was like, I'm not going to be like, just like start pitching her. I'm going to like 
engage with the content of her dog and try to be her friend. Like we have things in common. I'm a human. She's a human. Maybe she'll become interested in me if I'm interested in her. Turns out that works. <laughs> Basic human interactions. Are you, this is, you heard it here first, folks. <laughs> That's awesome though. I, we haven't had that sentiment expressed. And, you know, all of us, you know, who are in tech are also on social media. Uh, and so it's always great. Like, and Adam, just, you know, on, on your Twitter profile here, it's something you, you get value out of. People get value out of your tweet. It's like, and it's when you're able to tie it direct to that kind of value to your overall business, it's, it's a no brainer. Has Twitter uh, yielded similar benefits? Yeah, definitely. Um, I've kind of made it, made it a point to build in public because I live in the middle of nowhere. I live in Wyoming. Like there's not a huge D to C crowd here. And so I'm alone, I'm on an Island and in order for me to kind of have those people to commiserate with, to bounce ideas off of, I've found this community on Twitter. Um, so I've really shared my journey there. And not only have I gotten great value from the business side of things, but those people need our product too. There's a lot of women in that space. And totally. we've had a lot of longtime subscribers come from my Twitter followers. Okay, let's go to a different topic here now. You know, obviously you've mentioned a couple of times you're a bootstrap business. That's a big part of the brand identity and your business at this point. Have you had opportunities for funding? What's your stance on venture-backed capital? So a little background on us being bootstrapped. Um, obviously going into developing this product, I realized it was going to take a chunk of change and we wanted to make it even more complicated by packaging into our individual stick packs. Mm -hmm. And that's way more expensive than bulk packaging. So it did require some upfront capital and I pitched like three times for a state grant for startup funding and got turned down twice before getting it. Wyoming. Um, <laughs> but it was so cool. It was a $50,000 grant for startups with high growth potential. So if you're a founder out there yeah. listening, like look into state grants, they're worth it. Um, 50K is no joke, especially when you're just starting. So that was our initial capital. Um, and at that point, I thought I would go on to raise, like that that would be my launch capital. And from there I would raise because I wanted it to be a big business. I'm not against VC at this point, but mm. I have since realized that it's important to sit back and think about as a founder, what I want my company to look like right now and how I want the control to be. and one of the reasons that I've always wanted to start a business is because I don't necessarily like having a boss. Um, <laughs> and to me, having investors sounds like having a boss. So at this stage in the game, I knew, or I just realized that I didn't have a good reason to raise. There was nothing like on our kind of plate today where I'm like, I need capital for this that I can't create just through the business. Um, so we've decided not to. And, and yeah, like I've been approached by investors multiple times. Like, when are you going to raise? Let me know when you're going to raise. Like, I want to be on your cap table, like all these things. And I'm like, oh, like it sounds so nice just to feel a little bit more comfort um, in terms of the cash flow. But mm -hmm. And the synergies potentially, or, or were they mainly just about the cash? Um, yeah, definitely. I, th I think finding the right fit is, is harder than you think sometimes. Mm. 
like what is the right fit? I don't know. Yeah. You know? And and there's a huge part of it is hands-on versus hands-off as well. Cause I know that's a huge uh, factor in people's wanting to take uh, investment or not is, is feeling like whether they have a, a boss or this other figure that's really breathing down their neck or there's just, there, you know, there's a very long leash, but still a leash. Yeah. I think too, it's worth thinking about how fast you want to grow. Do you mm. want someone being like, I need my 10 times return in five years or are you more willing to kind of roll with the punches and grow at a rate where you can still maintain that, that connection with your customers? And that became super, super important to me. And I was like, I don't want to acquire customers faster than I know what to do with. Obviously, like, yes, we want to grow and we are growing sustainably, but this rapid, rapid growth, like, isn't super attractive to me right now because we're still kind of figuring out what's next for our customer. Until you get a TikTok video that gets 10 million views, <laughs> which could happen at any time with this platform. Totally. We had an Instagram reel get 3 million views in April and it was like, and we're out of inventory. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. That's interesting. That's, that's, uh, I like your approach, this, this idea of, of growth at your pace, because you either just keep growing like that and you'll just be continually gaining momentum or you'll build a big enough base and, and you'll make a move into something else that allows you to put the pedal down harder, but it's on your terms, which sounds awesome. Yeah. And I, I don't think there's a right way to do it. Um, I think I went into it thinking that I wanted to do VC cause that's what you read about. And I like, like the glam of this startup world like when was the last time you saw a article in TechCrunch about someone bootstrapping and them like glamorizing bootstrapping? It's not glamorous um, and you don't have big names behind you. And it's really hard. It's really hard if you have VC dollars too, but it's going to be different for everyone. And I, I just wish that they talked about bootstrapping more. <laughs> yeah. We're living the bootstrapping life here at uh, D2C Newsletter and Podcast, but uh, it just makes the wins all the sweeter when you get to that point where you're you're in the in the black, uh, and, and it's been a been a hell of a ride. So I'm I'm definitely on the bootstrapping train with you. Let's jump into email a little bit here. What what email platform do you guys use? Yeah, we are on Clavio. Big Clavio fans. Big Clavio fans. Um, previously, before launching Marea. I was the director of marketing for another e-commerce company and swapped them over to Clavio. And I just love that platform so much. Why? Uh, the insights that it provides to you, it's like better than what even Shopify gives you. You know, it's better than what Google Analytics shows you. You can really grow those relationships with your customers there. And of course, being an education first company, we're able to segment these people based off of what kind of symptoms they have. You know, we send out surveys, people fill out like through their first month of taking our product, what symptoms are they seeing improvement on? And then based off of that feedback, we can then like send them an email that's like, here are other ways to help your cramps. Here are other ways to help your headaches, like whatever it is, we can use all of that information to get more granular with our customers in a scalable way. And Clavio makes that relatively easy. Yeah, yeah. So we'll use like type form for our surveys and that can directly integrate into Clavio. And then you can trigger flows off of survey responses and all of their integrations and just the data that they're able to trigger emails off of is pretty incredible. 
would you say that this kind of level of customization that you're achieving through Typeform is something you see uh, D2C brands go wrong? Or do you have any other examples that you see D2C brands going wrong with their, their email? I think that the place where brands go wrong with their email is they're not customizing enough or segmenting enough. If you are not hitting the customer at the right time and like say they just purchased and then you send them a sale email the next day, that's a better deal than what they just purchased at. Like as that customer, you're going to be like, what the hell? Like, I think that's really where brands go wrong is not segmenting deep enough or not taking into consideration where in the life cycle that customer is based off of what they're sending them. Um, Yes, of course, like things can go wrong on the back end and you can send the wrong email to the wrong person if you're getting like very intricate with with all of your um, emails. But I think it's it's better to try to go a little deeper than to just be too broad and be like blasting your whole list all the time. Yeah, I think I think people are hesitant to get too to get too granular, but these these tools exist. And as you say, yeah, you want to be speaking to people at the right time with the right messaging. And your results, if you do it well, will be paid back in engagement. Yeah. And the engagement is really what matters there, right? Like you yeah. want to keep keep showing up in the right inbox. You don't want to go to promotions. You don't want to go to spam. And so you need your customers to trust and look forward to your emails and engage with them. And specifically going into this like iOS 14.4, or iOS 15, I think, environment where they're deprecating opens across a lot of Apple devices. Uh, so that's a metric that, you know, you have to go into deeper in- engagement metrics in order to continue easily validating y- your email. Yeah, I think it's definitely going to move the importance from opens to clicks and things like website activity. Luckily with Klaviyo, you can segment based off of website, like active on site. Um, so I think that'll be helpful, but, you know, normally you're pulling out segments that are engaged, which includes opens. I'm crossing my fingers that a lot of people don't use the mail app on Apple, but I might be wrong. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> I, I don't, I, I'm a Gmailer, so. Me I'll, too. <laughs> I'll be safe, but it just, but you just don't know, right? It's, it's hard to, yeah. I guess you could calculate how many are on Apple and kind of factor that into your rate, but it's just all going to be a pain in the butt in this fractured privacy environment. Totally. Totally. I, the environment is changing and that's, it's interesting. I think more and more brands in this era are going to not be the brands that we saw built on Facebook advertising and they're going to be built through these customer relationships, through TikTok, through email, all these, all these other channels. The dawn of a new era. Uh, Facebook ads will continue to pump. I'll, I will tell you, but I think you're absolutely right that there's, you know, I, I, this is a bad metaphor for someone in an agency, but it reminds me of like the the '90s steroid scandals. You know, like in the in the post juicing era, everyone will have to build their, you know, their their brand story out and really really make those one to one connections. The best businesses, of course, do both, but uh, but yeah, that's really interesting. Uh, yeah. Let's talk about. Sorry, add on. Oh, no, I was just going to say, I'm not hating on Facebook advertising by any means, but um, I do think that it's becoming more and more important that there are other channels. A hundred percent. I cannot agree more. So one of the things that that you've managed to build out, and I think we touched on this earlier, uh, did you have any other insights on how you've built your content machine? Uh, Like what kind of velocity are you publishing uh, fresh uh, digital content? Yeah, as Oh God, this is like such an interesting question because it varies week to week based off of what else is going on behind the scenes. Um, We've really focused on 
trying to be as consistent as possible. And, you know, when I'm directly creating these like TikToks and these Instagram reels, because I've become this face of our brand, um, I spend probably two half days a week on content creation. Um, and then we've slowed down on our blog content creation for SEO purposes because we have the ranking in these certain categories that are already kind of going. And we only publish there about once a month, but those longer form articles allow us to break out a ton of social content. So we use an expert to write a long form article um, that's like a nutritionist or a dietitian. And then probably pull like 10 or 15 different posts out of that based off of the content that they created in long form. And that's worked really well for us because we know that it's accurate. They're fact checking, they're using sources. So it allows someone that's not a expert in the field to be able to then pull and create content from it, which is really helpful. Did you have any trouble getting over the, a personal hurdle with becoming the face or, or really turning the camera on yourself? And, you know, I, I do, I do uh, interviews, no problem all the time, but if it comes to me like deciding, okay, I'm going to start making some TikTok videos about marketing. It's a bit of a personal hurdle for me. Did you find that at all? And how did you overcome it? I personally didn't. Um, you know, I think being the reason the brand started and it being my problem, mm. um, there's no real option other than for me to share that from my perspective. Um, also starting a bootstrapped company, like who the hell else is going to talk about it? If I'm not going to talk about it. Yeah. So for me, it was like, if this is what it takes to get in front of eyeballs and to build our community, like, I don't care. I'm going to do whatever it takes. And I think if you are someone who is scared to show up from a personal level, thinking about that of, okay, if you're not going to show up, who is going to show up for this brand you're creating? That's a really good way to frame it. Um, as well as just remembering that there are a lot of other people showing up on these channels and you'll always have haters, but it's kind of funny when you have haters. <laughs> I guess so. It's a good sign, right? You're, you're putting something out into the universe, take an opinion on it one way or the other. I wanted to ask one other question about email. I have a note here that just talks about a specific email that you have for people who cancel that I thought was worth bringing to our audience. Can you describe that a bit? So obviously with a subscription product, we do get unsubscribes. We have a really amazing retention rate, but we still do get those unsubscribes. And so for a while, I was doing it in a very unscalable way where when someone unsubscribed, I personally reached out and actually sent them a personalized video of just being like, hey, it's Monica. Like, so sorry, this didn't work out for you. I'd love to hear kind of your feedback, you know, in order for us to improve our product, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so it was a very like plain text email video and people responded to it. And we had really, really good feedback from it. A lot of times people would be like, oh, I'm just trying to get pregnant. So I'm going on a prenatal. And I'd be like, oh my God, congrats. And then would literally go on Amazon and ship them my favorite nutrition for pregnancy book. And I still do that when people unsubscribe and are like, just changing to a prenatal. Like they're like, I'll be back once, once my pregnancy is over, I'm sending them my favorite pregnancy book. Like those are the little things that I feel like make a difference. And, and if anyone's out there familiar with like Eli at Olipop, their team do these types of things too. They'll like send people a plant. Yeah. Um, and if you, you can make that impact in one person's life, they're probably going to go and tell 10 people. So 
definitely worth it. These are the modern Zappos stories, right? Like the, the Zappos <laughs> stories of the of the early 2000s that you'd hear about calling up their customer service and them ordering you pizza or, or something like that. This, this is how you do that. And things that don't scale is something we talk about on the podcast all the time are these creating these one-to-one memorable type, you know, relationships. Uh, and, and while they may not scale at the touch of a button, uh, there's just residual value throughout your whole business. Definitely. Yeah. And so we've since turned that into an automation, um, still as a video, it's just not personalized and it's still like a plain text email. We get replies all the time. And when people reply to that email, I'm in there like responding back to them. And in the last two weeks, we've had like 50% of people resubscribe because their unsubscribe reason was just an issue that they were having that could have been resolved through a conversation. So I think it's always worth remembering that a lot of people aren't willing to like reach out and actually have that conversation. But if you can pull it out of them of the real reason why they're unhappy, you might have the solution and then you can just get them to come right back. Or it'll so educate you about maybe a direction your product goes in or, or how to position your product or you know, there's just so much learning in there. Yeah. And we have this massive document that all of the feedback goes into so that we can kind of track like, okay, this was like, they didn't like the flavor. They had this issue. Um, and so when we go back in and update our formula or go into product dev or whatever it is, like we have all of that feedback to go off of. And obviously you can't listen to it all, but I think that's great advice for anyone listening out there. Even just implementing a video, try implementing a video on people who who are canceling and see how that goes. It's just you know something simple every business could try uh, to test uh, in an A A B fashion. What sort of A B stuff are you running with your business? A lot of our A B comes down like is in email. You know, simple things like we always start with subject line. Um, always go to creative CTAs, those types of things, um, and then. Always, always, I mean, I guess it's not as much of an AEB test, but testing things on TikTok, like there's such a variation. You look at some accounts and they're going viral just because it's entertaining and funny. And then you post something entertaining and funny and it gets like 120 views. And you're like, wait, that was actually really funny. I can't believe it didn't go viral. But then we realize, like with our content, the stuff that does go viral is just very intimate and vulnerable content. And so we're always trying new things um, and you never know what's going to kind of click. So I think consistency, being willing to try something new and taking note and iterating off of that all the time, right? Um, This is something we have an intern right now and I was just telling her, I'm like, it's so important for us to make these notes of, I tried this, here's the result, here's how I'm going to do this or not do this in the future. And so just creating that, that mental process of iteration and, and making um, kind of like taking the feedback of, of everything you do. Let's move into the rapid fire question. There's, a, there's one I'm specifically looking forward to in this series of questions because it's one we ask a lot of our guests and you have a very specific use case, I think. Uh, so name two other brands that you're a big fan of outside of your own. Okay, right now, Kinfield, it's summer and the black flies and mosquitoes are awful here. And I'm like obsessed with their deep free bug spray. And I also just love Nicole, the founder. So love them. And I mean, I have to just give a shout out to Olipop. I, in the last two years, stopped drinking alcohol. And so Olipop has been like my savior. That's awesome. It's cheaper than beer. 
Yeah. And it's like just fun. I don't know. It's delicious. I'm like, I want a soda, but I don't really want a soda. Um, yeah. And I'm pretty obsessed with their orange crush or whatever it's called. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, they are, they are fans of the show. So uh, I'm glad to give them a shout out anytime. And then this is a question we ask a lot of guests. It's, it's really funny. We ask, you know, if the Canadian government were to give you a $50,000 grant for your business, how would you apply it? It's just so interesting that you have a very similar situation there in Wyoming. Yeah. Um, I think if we got a $50,000 grant right now, it would definitely go towards product development. I have a lot of really fun ideas. Obviously we've been getting a lot of feedback from our customers and there's a couple of things that I want to launch into, but we can't do everything at once. Um, so I definitely put it towards developing a new product that we will do anyways, eventually, but 50 K would be sweet. That's awesome. All right. Well, we'll, we'll, we'll see what Trudeau is saying. And then what's your best scrappy marketing story? I mean, honestly, I'd have to say like the Reddit thing. Spending time in Reddit is just mind blowing to me. Um, we have seen really great conversions come from there and it gives us that insight into what people are looking for, what people are asking for. Um, and able to like grow as a company. I will say another thing as well is finding your competitors ads and then engaging with the people who are engaging with their ads. Ooh, that's a deep cut. I like that. (laughs) I hope none of them listen to this. (laughs) (laughs) No, no other brands listen to this. Don't worry. (laughs) That's too funny. That reminds me of an, I used to work for a gaming company and we were, we were competing against Clash of Clans, which we didn't know was not possible at that time. But we were, we were generating a lot of low, uh, we, we were getting a lot of, of great installs by just using an ad that said, we're better than Clash of Clans. And, and then people would, on the ads, people would say, hey, tell me, you know, how dare you say that, you know, or whatever. But then we'd engage them on conversations and we'd say, hey, well, you can actually do this or, you know, these are the reasons we think we're better. Um, but, but, but that, so that was, that was our take on it through ads, but just to literally go in and just engage them in conversations and be like, yeah, I mean, product not do what are, what are the holes in, in their marketing or their approach? Yeah. I think too, like a lot of times on some of those ads, it's people like being like, this product doesn't work. I hate it, whatever. And so we can go in and start engaging with those people and then they'll discover us and try our product. (laughs) I love it. Sneaky AF. Monica, <laughs> I want to thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. I uh, I want to keep in touch because I'm really interested to see uh, how your organic growth continues. And yeah, I think going into into these big privacy changes, these big upheavals, it's just it's a strategy and uh, that all brands are going to want to know more about. So if, if people want to get in touch with you, wh- where do you recommend they do that? Yeah, come say hey on Twitter. My um, TMs are open always. So I'm at Monica.Grony over on Twitter. Um, I'm also on Instagram and you can find me there. But as always, you can also just come say hey on our brand accounts. Thanks so much for listening to today's episode. If you're not a subscriber to our newsletter, you can do that right now at directtoconsumeralloneword.co. I'm Eric Dick, and this has been the D2C Podcast. We'll see you next time.